hey, like, oh, I have this idea. Like, how do I do it? And I'm like, well, you're never going to do it. At, like, like ask people, but ask people with the intent to move forward, right? So many people are like asking with that, like, but wanting you to be like, that is the greatest idea, right? They just want that reinforcement, but they don't actually, they're not actually asking you questions to be able to, to make a real like change, right? And so once you change that mindset from being like, I have this good idea and I, I want people to agree with it. So they, they are going to give me the power to like, think that I can do this being like this is going to happen i'm going to make a step now and i'm going to continue to make steps going forward and i'm going to start asking people how what is that next step for me then uh then the whole thing kind of changes hi to another episode of who's saving the planet lex keith Aubrey here and i will be joined in just a moment by the one and only jessica miles Today we have a great episode for you. Zach Lawless is here, and Zach is the CEO and founder of The Good Goods, a company that focuses on infusing circularity into the things that we buy and we use every day to reduce single-use items. And specifically, they're focusing on the wine industry. So when you go to a wine store and you buy a bottle of wine, what happens to that bottle when you're done with it? We often think about putting it in the recycling as a way to help reduce our impact in the world, but recycling for lots of reasons that we get into is actually not a very efficient way of reducing the overall impact of something that is heavy and that takes a lot of energy to make like a glass bottle. So the good goods has come up with a way to take that bottle and reuse it and to create a system where it does not have to either go to a landfill or have to spend a lot of energy to melt it down to its original core components and then remake it into something else. This is a great episode. Zach was fantastic. We definitely geek out on wine, which is awesome. Uh, and here at Who's Saving the Planet, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break for a couple of weeks to start collecting more interviews for these amazing episodes coming in later this year. So stay tuned and we will see you on the other side. All right, here we go. Let's kick this off. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. We have with us the CEO and founder of Good Goods, Zach Lawless. Zach, welcome in. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be on the podcast today. Glad to have you. And of course, Jess Miles, the one and only. Hi, I'm here, here, ready to talk about Good Goods. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very nice, Jess Miles. All right, let's start off with the beginning. Um, Zach, tell us, how is Good Goods saving the planet so good goods is really focused on proliferating reusable commerce and so we do that by providing consumer-centric reuse programs and i use the term consumer-centric is because because we're building reuse programs that engage consumers so that there's value for all different levels of the supply chain and we uh, are focused on wine because we think it's uniquely positioned to really lead the charge for reusable commerce in general. Let's unpack that a little bit. So you say when you're focused on reusable goods and writ large. So anything that we have that's single use and disposable doesn't necessarily need to be. These would be coffee cups, plastic that we use in to-go containers and what have you. And there's a way to then recoup those things and put them back into the system after cleaning them and what have you so that we just have less waste as people in general. Is that about right? Yeah, and for the majority of human human existence, most things have been reusable. It's really just kind of like post-industrial age that we really developed single use. And that one-way supply chain 
worked for a little while, but obviously now we're, we've reached kind of a tipping point. Uh, one of the statistics that, that I think is kind of most alarming is on a yearly basis, we're overusing the Earth's resources by 56%. So the Earth produces a number of resources that we uh, are fortunate enough to have, um, but annually we're overusing that by 56% currently. So it's not a, uh, something that we can continue to do forever. The advent of petrochemicals is a way to create an endless supply of plastic that they have purported to be recyclable, which is actually not recyclable, is a pretty big driver of that, I would have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we could chat all day about kind of the, the downfalls of recycling. Yeah, that's a whole different episode. All right, all right, all right. All right, we'll stay on topic then. Then the good goods, right? You, you're focusing on one area. And that area that you're focusing on is a wine bottles. And this is a near and dear to my heart, but, but give us some idea about like, walk me through what this means. I, as a consumer, walk into a wine store and buy a bottle of wine. What happens next? Yeah. So from how it really affects the consumer's life is that consumer will go into a store, they'll buy a wine bottle. They'll either notice on the wine bottle that there's a label about returning it. Um, there's, there is uh, writing on the bottom of the bottle to let the consumer know as well. Also, the retailer will generally let that consumer know when they come to the cash register that if they bring that bottle back, they'll receive a dollar credit towards their next purchase. And so that consumer goes home, they enjoy that, uh, that bottle of wine. Once they're finished, they bring that bottle back to the same place that they, they purchased it or any of the other participating locations in the program. Uh, they'll get their dollar store credit uh, it will actually be saved to their phone um, or saved to their phone number, uh, in which case they can use it immediately or they can go back. But they drop that bottle off at the store where it is eventually collected by the Good Goods team, washed and then redistributed to producers to get a second life. So is it similar almost in a way outside of being like state run um, to like bottle the old school bottle recycling? plans um where you would get like five cents or something like that if you collected a bunch of like cans and returned them back to a certain station yeah so obviously the main difference is recycling versus reuse right so the bottle deposit bills and most of the infrastructure in the united states is built out for recycling the major difference between recycling being that that bottle it is collected and it is taken down to its raw materials where it can then become something else whereas reuse is the form of that bottle or the form of that product that is coming back, uh, the, 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 the form remains intact. It is just clean, sanitized, and uh, gets, gets another run. And so the, like you mentioned, the, the bottle deposit bills of five cents, 10 cents on a can are, uh, are all state run, whereas this is more of a, uh, a, a, private, a private solution, similar to what you would see in, in Mexico with their beer bottle reuse programs and, and things of that, that, that we're, we're creating a real private sector solution for this. When did you guys get started? We got started in 2017 um, with, uh, in the reusable, we got started with, in the reusable space in 2017. Um, and we really moved over to a wine in at the beginning of COVID. So that was kind of the transition point for us. So we're definitely going to talk about that. But before we get, we get into your rebirth as a startup business and what have you, I want to just just talk a little bit about what it takes to make a wine bottle and why this is an important thing to consider in terms of the reuse culture. Wine is, Wine bottles are largely made from sand, 
So like glass is something that is smelted from sand, which means you need to harvest that sand from somewhere in the world. And there actually for a long time was a global deficiency of sand to make glass, which is like a whole nother issue as well. Um, so you need to get this sand from somewhere. You need to heat it up to an incredibly high temperature, and then you need to forge a wine bottle out of that sand effectively the way you've done. So this is very intensive in terms of the amount of energy that it takes to actually make a wine bottle. Correct. And I think that what people don't realize is that it is actually the largest part of the carbon footprint of a wine bottle. So depending on where that wine's coming from or anything of that nature, the bottle itself can make up 30 to 50% of the carbon footprint of that wine bottle. So as a producer or consumer that's trying to reduce their impact, the single biggest thing that they can do is work with alternative packaging. And the best form of alternative packaging is reuse. In the world of sustainability and the world of reducing your footprint, reuse is king and that is even more uh that is even more true in wine bottles or any glass industry because even if you're recycling those products they still have to get reheated to around 2000 degrees celsius to be to create a new uh, a new product so um, you're not really reducing the carbon footprint with recycling with glass products and specifically with wine vineyards themselves are highly efficient in terms of like, they're not a huge carbon sink because vines aren't that huge or they're not that big as, as trees are. But if you're using agri uh, agri agricultural processes that are more on the biodynamic or organic trend, then you're reducing the amount of water that you need to use. You're, you are not creating a monocrop, but you have crop diversity within the vineyard. You're creating a more um, a richer biodiversity within sort of like the, the whole ecosystem that you're building. So like vineyards can actually be quite good. And you're exactly right that the packaging and the shipping of those products is the vast majority of the carbon footprint that it has. And the vineyards themselves actually can be pretty efficient carbon sinks. I was, totally. I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I was going to ask a question about like the specific carbon emissions versus other things um, like water use and land use, uh, just because I know like, well, I don't know. I think I know that vineyards are like in California and then they're also on the East Coast. Um, yeah. And at least in California, obviously droughts and uh, that sort of stuff have like a huge impact. I'll take this one if you don't mind, Zach. Every yeah, once in a while, it. I get to talk about wine stuff. So yeah. um, it depends what your wine laws are. In much of Europe, you're not allowed to irrigate. And so you can't actually overuse the amount of water that you that you need in order to grow the vines. In California, that's not the case. And so we're redirecting the Colorado River. And that goes down to a whole lot of issues of like water, the water, the forthcoming water wars that will be fought between California, Nevada, <laughs> Arizona, and some parts of like Idaho. Idaho. Um, but you can use, you can do it efficiently. You kind of, in order to make good wine, you want the, the vine to actually be a little bit water starved. So you don't want to over irrigate it. Unlike table grapes for wine grapes, you want them to be a little bit more balanced in terms of the sugar and then the water composition of the fruit itself. So measuring that water and using it judiciously actually creates a better product. Have you been out to Napa recently with the drought? I was just there a few weeks ago. No, I haven't been out since the pandemic struck. I miss it dearly. It's uh, it is kind of crazy. They, I was talking to a vineyard and they weren't doing it, but they were talking about how other ones in the area are actually trucking in water right now because it's so hard to get water for the vineyards, which obviously has to have 
a lot of negative impacts, but even just from a carbon perspective and, and things of that nature, it's, it's crazy that that is a, a practice that's going on right now. Climate change is going to change our agriculture writ large in so many ways, but for the wine industry specifically, it's changing the sort of like Goldilocks zone of where good wine can be grown. It was between 30 and 50 degrees latitude. Um, and now that's moving north and south farther away from the equator as the world becomes hotter. So like we never used to have any decent wine out of like UK. And now yeah. they're actually like kind of growing wine in cold water climate. That's okay. And you're seeing parts <laughs> of California that are just like too hot and arid because we're over irrigating them. And that's not a sustainable way to grow stuff. I feel yeah. like you're offending wine snobs everywhere. <laughs> I've made a career out of that, Jess. <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. I think that one of the things that's actually working for our business, but really a sad thing that's kind of a byproduct of, of what's going on is, uh, yeah, wines uniquely uh, has like a unique connection to climate change for that exact reason. It's so sensitive to the climate um, that they're really like the first ones to notice what's going on. And I've sat at a ton of meetings where people are like, yeah, people all over the place are saying like, oh, climate change has, isn't really affecting things that much anymore. Like there's not or right now and, and things like that. But these, these and these producers are up there saying, you know what? Like you can tell me that this isn't happening, but my grapes are different. My my crops are different, and and I see it for myself. And and uh, and think about somebody who just owns an expensive land or is like basically like growing up on a piece of land, and they're they're seeing it kind of not produce the same type of products that it used to in the past. It's uh it's a little heart wrenching to go to some of these uh, conferences and hear people talk about about climate change affecting their vineyards. I wanted to make a, a fun pun about like canary in the coal mine but for vineyards but yeah I can't i was like canary in the wine mine that doesn't make sense so yeah. i get where you're going with it though i appreciate it oh i appreciate that you that you didn't make a fun pun but you told us about the fun pun that you're not I know, going when you to explain make. the joke it's a lot better that's, Lex. yeah no that's right exactly peace <laughs> it out all right let's get back to the let's get back to um, good goods in general so obviously huge need for this right um shipping wine bottles around the world not great you obviously are shipping wine bottles around the world once you collect them and then reuse them, but at least you're cutting out part of that supply chain, which is creating more glass and shipping it largely from China, where most of the glass is made to the United States, not great also. But the consumer side of this, I'm super interested in because core to your business is getting people to take that wine bottle and then bring it back to the wine store. Yeah. And so how have you been able to affect that part of consumer behavior successfully? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I feel like a lot of people are like, how do I wash these bottles? How do I get them back? How do I do this? But like, there is no reuse program if consumers aren't returning the bottles. Like you right. can have the sufficient built out logistics you need, but you got to get the bottle back. And so this uh, this experience, and I can I I can touch on it when we're when we we chat about how we transitioned. But this experience is something that we learned early on when we were kind of running our first business in in the food space with reusable packaging, and we learned that the kind of default system for reusables, where it's like, I had a deposit, you get that money back when you bring that deposit back. It's not well-received. It's not a positive consumer experience. It's actually a very negative consumer experience. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm out of my money. I'm gonna bring it back. And like, this isn't very rewarding. And so we had a number of locations in New York where we were really able to A-B test. How do we change this consumer experience to create a model that really works for reusables? And so, 
from a product feature standpoint, you anybody who wants to get into reusables is now officially competing with disposability as a product feature of, of whatever they're building. And you have to think about how to leverage reusables as a way to create a better experience. And so when we were when we were doing it, the first thing we did made little changes, right? Instead of having a uh, $8 salad with a $2 deposit, we made it a $10 salad with a $2 reward when you bring it back. We used, uh, we realized that customers were returning, they were doing so through a unique identifier, which is in this case, their cell phone number. So we started sending, we started working with messaging. Can we, can we create positive reinforcement for what people are doing? Can we normalize this and sit, talk to them about how many other people have, have uh, actually returned a product? Can we, can we create a very sticky consumer behavior? We did a number of A-B testing over the over the different uh, locations for ours, and we actually were able to move our return rates from 20% when we started to 80% by the time COVID hit. That's an office build. That's not just an office building where people are, are constantly, but it's in subway centers, which a majority of our locations were, college campus libraries, where people are grabbing that salad, they're move, going somewhere else to eat it, and then they're actually coming back with it. And so. Uh, there is a number of factors that go into how do you create that consumer experience, right? It's convenience, how dense are those notes so that people can do it, right? If you have a trash can sitting right next to you, you're not going to litter. But you, but if it's uh, if it's a hundred miles away and that like you're going to have a higher percentage of people littering, it's just natural. Uh, if you have a hundred dollar deposit on, it, you're going to have a lower lower people lower lower uh, or higher return rate. So. It's about balancing the, the the needs of the consumer to create an experience that um, is positive to them, engaging to them, and and has the right results that you're looking for. I feel like if there was a president of sustainable goods for the country, I would want you to run for president of that club. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, we'll get working on it. I'll try to yeah. I'll try to get that organization going. I mean, in all the free time you have outside of running a business, you should definitely, definitely work on that. It's yeah, it definitely needs to be priority. for sure. I guarantee you there's somebody that's like the president of recycling for the country. We just haven't, <laughs> got, just haven't got to reuse yet. So Speak actually the petrochemical industry for a long time was the biggest president of recycling because they wanted to confuse people enough into making them feel like they were doing something good when actually like most things are not recyclable and <clears throat> the energy it takes to recycle them is that prohibitive we're back on this recycling I'm, sorry I'm, it's no, triggering it's a trigger no, no, it, tri it triggers me i mean you i'm sure you're probably aware of this like have you i it makes me so angry when i learned about the uh the um crying indian campaign have you heard yes about that? yes yeah, he was crazy. italian first of all yeah <laughs> not many people know that he was italian from jersey yeah but everything about that are that that whole commercial is just so messed up do you do you know about this jess yeah, I, I'm intimately familiar with it. All right. Well, for our listeners who don't, there was a campaign in like the 80s where a car was driving down a freeway and they threw something out of the window and a man who was purported Crying to be Native American Cody. was standing there and like quietly weeping because this thing wasn't recycled. And it was like, do it your part. Right? Was it whatever it was? It was like you do your part, keep things safe. Like consumers should be responsible. What have you? Funded by the oil and gas industry, and the person wasn't even a Native American. He was like an, an Italian guy from Jersey that they were just standing there. And it's a wonderful example of how the big companies are trying to make consumers feel responsible for the r r havoc that they wrought on our environment. 
I think also primarily cultural appropriation, but consumer behavior too. Tremendous <laughs> cultural appropriation. That is absolutely <laughs> correct. And uh, yeah, it's crazy because if you look it up, it's it's like a top five most successful marketing campaigns of all time because like like next to the Apple's like I think it's like 1984 is in 1984, mm-hmm. but because it successfully changed like legislation, like how we thought it implemented the recycling industry pretty much in all of America. Like at that point, a lot of people were pushing uh, politicians at the time pushing to have corporations responsible for getting rid of the waste and that campaign made it like oh it's not the corporation's fault it is the consumer's fault and you guys need to figure this out and yeah. it yeah. reframed that whole conversation for what 50 years until now i think i literally think it was like maine or something this week was like the first one to pass an end-of-life uh, producer responsibility bill in the united states so that whole reduce reuse recycle reduce and reuse are they're really pulling a lot more weight there than the recycling part is for, for our not dying as a species. Well, it, it, I think it's also worth touching on just how broken our recycling system is because yes, the, the keep America beautiful campaign was wildly successful and it, it had all these impacts and kicked off, you know, this, this massive era. Um, But theoretically, if our recycling system worked the way it should, it wouldn't be as big of a deal because in theory, you take a bottle, you use it, you recycle it, you know, it goes back 100% into like what it was, no waste. But I think it's like the fact that it's so, number one, obviously the fossil fuels, like you were mentioning earlier, Zach, to turn raw material into something. Um, But just like how broken the system is, I think, attributes to a lot of the unequal nature. It's such of... a pipe dream, though. It's like, okay, the level of material standardization to be able to recover what you need out of it, or the level of sorting right. need to like allow people to to use more specific uh, materials. Like that's a pipe dream. Getting consumers to understand what's going. Like no one has even made an effort to try to like standardize recycling rules across across municipalities so that people can understand it, right? Like there's no reason to even teach recycling in high school for the most part, because when I was in Kansas, we had completely different things that we could recycle between Brooklyn, right? Like there's just different, there's different pieces. And then on top of that too, regionality of like what can get recycled in each area, right? Like glass is profitably recycled in certain areas. It is most area, if you have a glass, I mean, if it's some place that's gonna use those collets, you can you can you can sometimes sell glass for more than you can it cost you to recycle and transport it. That's be within 500 miles of or 200 miles of a user or something like that. It all and, comes back to that economic structure, right? That the incentives to say is who's getting paid what to do what. Um, so how did you guys come up with this idea then? Have you been like on the war path against recycling and for reuse since you grew up in Kansas or like where did this come from? Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting story on on kind of how everything came together. But I was working in venture capital. I started working in social impact investing, so became really, I guess, um, engaged in the idea that we could create business solutions for some of the world's biggest problems, and how that those can actually help create better businesses when trying to tackle those. And so um, I wanted to launch my first business, which was built around the idea of creating healthy grab and go food for people. 
And it was about the same time that China had stopped accepting plastics. And so when trying to design a product, uh, we wanted to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. So we decided to do everything in reusable containers, really on a whim. At that point, I didn't really know the effect that it had or how meaningful reuse could be at scale, um, but really just knew that it, it sounded like the right thing to do. And we gained a, a lot of traction on, on this idea of reuse from not just investors, but also some of the largest food service operators as well. Um, and so we kind of, we kind of pushed forward under that. And then, and then, and then just through the whole process of learning and what I told you about and how we were able to create a model for reuse, uh, we started to really feel that we, 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 we caught on to something here as far as getting consumers to understand and engage with reusable products, uh, at a meaningful level. And so when COVID hit, we had a chance to look back and say, Hey, this is great. We've got reusable food in a reusable container, but it's only got such a, so big of a platform. We, we couldn't, we tried to pivot into retail and we couldn't go into retail just because it was such a niche product with not enough influence to try to con convince retailers to start trying to add reuse systems in. So we had to step back and think like, how do we take this learning and create something that can create um, marketplace and a solution that can create meaningful change over a period of time. And we researched a number of industries and we landed on wine because I, like I said earlier, I think it's uniquely positioned to be able to uh, lead the way in reusable products. And that's, that's for a number of reasons. One is the product packaging is already reusable, which is not being honored as such in its, in its current uh, state. Uh, it is highly standardized, about 70, well, comparatively to other industries. I know if I say that to somebody in the wine industry, they'll be like, my bottle's special. But like the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that you can take about 75% of the wine by, by volume and create six SKUs of standardized SKUs of bottles and put those into and replace that 75% without even changing the filling line, no changes to the filling line. So uh, you can get them to adopt that product really quickly. Whereas, for instance, Haagen-Dazs tried to create a reusable ice cream uh, product. And I think it took two years from packaging development all the way through getting their manufacturing lines changed. So we can we can move quickly in this industry. Um, and then on top of it, wine is sold at over 1 million locations in the United States. And if you look at any successful reuse program across, across the world from what we were talking about of the beer bottle programs in uh, in Mexico to the, the beer bottle programs that are, are publicly run in, in Canada, all the way over to, uh, to Germany's Pafond, all of them use the retailers as the, the points for collection. Yet in the United States, especially without the public support of, uh, or like government support, it's uh, the biggest hurdle we face is getting retailers on board. So the fact that we could potentially leverage wine's influence to start activating retailers and if they have such a big footprint, that 1 million locations would give the US the largest return network in the world. So there is an opportunity to get into an industry that can scale quickly, that if it works, could create the meaningful infrastructure for other products to start to jump on board and, uh, and really create the foundation for, for reasonable commerce. I can imagine this being pretty popular for restaurants, right? Because I mean, even, since we are in the, the age of COVID, I can see people being a little bit hesitant about something that they use and then um, giving it like to someone that's clean, but it's used by someone else. Um, but at least with restaurants, um, no one's actually like 
drinking from the bottle. Um, but I don't know. That's not really a question. I know, but I mean, I think you're right. At restaurants, it's a really easy, it's a really easy idea. Like the restaurants are already putting their bottles out for getting recycled. If we just make sure that they're picked up and reused. Uh, restaurants, restaurants are what we call a, uh, um, uh, like a return center. We're going to get way higher returns at those. They're going to, they're going to drive volume towards the, the cleaning process. You're not going to really get consumer engagement and the other things that you might from uh, off-premise, but on-premise, you're, you're going to get a lot of a higher percentage of returns. So if I own a restaurant, what, what's the financial incentive to, do I get paid for giving you back the bottles to use? Yeah, the restaurants will. We actually do not have an on-premise program at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we we, uh, we, do, we are launching the on-premise at the beginning of next year. So we've been focused really on off-premise and that consumer experience over the last eight months. Yeah. Um, so how's it been going? How's it, since you made this switch in the pandemic and went from grab and go salads, the wine bottle industry, it's like what, 16, 18 months ago, something like that. Uh, it's about a year ago. So it's about 12 months now since we really launched the, uh, the, like when, after we decided to go after wine and, and really start going for it. And so it's going really well. So we launched pilots in New York where we really just found like 10 retail locations, identified some wine that we were going to allow consumers to return and just saw like, Hey, can the same type of model that we were doing with good, uh, with fresh bowl, really work with with now good goods uh, and the results from those 10 locations were incredible so in three month period we had uh, around 4,000 users 88 percent of the bottles were returned and the average customer was coming back within 5.5 days so we we're showing that we could drive volume back into the store and really impressively we sat down with that retailer beforehand and we said hey look based on your previous sales of the previous month or last year adjusted for kind of how you guys are doing this year, let's forecast what we think these products are going to sell. And then we show that we outperformed the forecast for those products by 71%. So when you walk into this wine store and you see a sea of products, but you see essentially these, this idea of uh, this idea to help things stand out and you give retailers something that is uniquely different for those products, it really does um, help drive sales. And it was really cool to see that. That was kind of one of the theses we were trying to prove out. It was really hard to prove out when we were doing our own products, but when we kind of came in and, and did wine, we were able to show. So <clears throat> we showed it had a really meaningful place. The next part was really to try to get uh, support from the industry. So we started working directly with producers around uh, March of this year. We've got about 14 producers on board and in the program. So you can buy 14, wine, 14 different types of wines and the Good Goods bottles already. Uh, we've got a number of producers coming on by the end of the year and are really hoping to and have some really big partners that we should be announcing here at the by Q1 of, of next year. So we're really excited kind of about the the traction that we've got from the big producers. And we're really excited that this idea that we can leverage the 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 brands to create return nodes is really playing out. So when a producer goes into a retailer, or when, when one of our products goes into a retailer, we reach out to that retailer and say, hey, do you want to give your customers a dollar back and store credit? All you need to do is download our credit management system onto your POS and start accepting returns in the same packaging that it was. And 85% of those retailers are activating the program. So we're showing that we have a real model for, for scaling that, that return network. And we're, uh, we're, we're really excited kind of about where things are playing out right now. And this has, sorry, Jess, go ahead. 
what the response has been like on the producer side of things um, in terms of like reusing bottles that you guys give them um, just because I know change can be scary and the agriculture business writ large is somewhat um, insulated against change and there's been pushback. Yeah, so uh, one, I think we talked about it earlier in that wine industry is uniquely affected by climate change. So I think that there is a high level of, uh, or that producers are really open to anything that can maybe change that. There's a global glass shortage, which is making people talk about packaging in a way that they probably haven't in a long time, which is also kind of helping us. And then for the most part, uh, well, the, good, the, the for the most part, we're, we're, we're seeing producers of all ranges being receptive to it. We're seeing really early movers on kind of that natural, organic and sustainable wine world. And then we're also seeing it on these larger play from these larger players. The thing about it is that wine and reusable bottles is going to happen. The, the some of the biggest players in the industry have have committed to this. So like it is going to be something that you see. Uh, we feel fortunate enough to have like jumped in at a time where it looks like that ball is really mo moving and we can we can have a place in it. But uh, probably one of the most encouraging things that we've seen so far is that uh, people are like, oh, we're really glad you guys are coming along and, and helping us with this because we've committed to it. And, and now we, we really need to figure it out and we we don't really know what we're doing either. So um, it's great to be able to come in and like lean our expertise into to people who are are committed to doing it. Super cool. Um, what a great, what a great journey that you've been on. You, you had started with an idea that idea was forced to be reshaped and because of exogenous circumstances. And you found something that really sounds like you got a great niche, like something that is good time, good secular effects, good systemic change, everything you need for a really strong business. What was that word you said? Erogenous, misogynist, exogenous. <laughs> I don't think I said erogenous or misogynist. I know you didn't, but I wanted that to be a very on the record. Well, now I need to check. Exogenous, as in exogenous. Now <laughs> we have to look this We're up. We're now at the script relating to me. relating to or developing from external factors. So exogenous events, things that happen to you outside, very different from both erogenous or misogynous. Wait, Jess, can you spell it? <laughs> I, I'm going to have to tap out. I think that Lex wins this round of the spelling bee. I can't spell anything. No, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> then maybe spelling. Zach will be our honorary winner. Since yeah, he's no, the guest. I'm dyslexic. You don't want me to try to do this. <laughs> also dyslexic. Jax, are you dyslexic too? Uh, it depends on how much caffeine I've had. I don't. Okay. Well, so <laughs> you're ambilexic. <laughs> Um, Zach, one question for you, which we ask a lot of people, and I'd be curious about your, your, uh, advice. You were looking to do something and you wanted to change sort of the direction of your life, working from a place where you were giving out money to creating a business. What, what advice would you give somebody who is looking to change the way that they spend their time, change their professional direction and maybe like take a leap without knowing exactly how that's going to pan out. This is going to sound so cliche, but just do it. Like make that leap, right? Like I, I, I actually have a bunch of friends who, who come to me with kind of this exact same request. Like, Hey, like I have this idea, like, how do I do it? And I'm like, well, you're never going to do it. At, like 
like ask people, but ask people with the intent to move forward, right? So many people are like asking with like, but wanting you to be like, that is the greatest idea ever, right? They just want that reinforcement, but they don't actually, they're not actually asking you questions to be able to, to make like a, a real like change, right? And so once you change that mindset from being like, I have this good idea and I, I want people to agree with it. So they, they are going to give me the power to like think that I can do this being like, this is going to happen and I'm going to make a step now and I'm going to continue to make steps going forward. And I'm going to start asking people how, what is that next step for me? Then, uh, then the whole thing kind of changes. And like, I would say that if you could go back to really where my first idea started, I it, like, it's, 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 it's like too embarrassing for me to even say, right. So like we have, we've come a long way and, um, and it's nothing like what it was when it started. And um, yeah, I would say that, that it's cliche, but you really, if you're looking to make a change, you have to be that change. Nobody's going to come in and, and do that for you. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's about getting started. It's not about like having, having a vision's great, but that vision will come as you go. So like get started, get moving and, and, uh, and the rest will kind of fall together. I heard many different, I'm not, I'm totally not ragging on you. I heard many different um, slogans like the just get moving from the jogging era in America, yeah. be the change you want to see in the world. Um, and then obviously uh, just do it Nike's thing with um, the guy from Transformers. But you want it, you want a real tangible piece of advice here? I can, I can give you my, my, my life lessons to people. People love chatting about themselves. Ask people to talk about themselves and they, they are their interest to whatever you want to do. Just, just ask them to be like, hey, I'm in love with what you're doing. You want to sit down and grab coffee and like chat with me about it? You'll learn more and create more friends asking people to talk about themselves than anything else you can. And I have gotten so many meetings that I have no no right getting uh, by that, by, by just doing that. And honestly, like, is, is I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you're, if you're good at chatting with people, you should start a podcast because everyone <laughs> wants to do a podcast. It's like a great oh, way. I better see myself out then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's not true, Jess Miles. You're, you, you bring something to the podcast that nobody could have expected as being quintessential to its success. Insanity. The background. Exactly. The background. Exactly. Not the background. <laughs> I That's all I'm good for is my is my mural background. I um, mean, yeah. Not all you're good. No, Jess, you're good for so many things. You are, uh, the magnitude of your positive effect on the world has yet to be truly calibrated or understood. See, <laughs> here's the thing, Zach. I try and be a smartass, and then Lex says these like poetic things, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. So <laughs> here we are. But um, I do think, Zach, what you said is totally, I personally, yeah. like, I wanted to figure out how to get into sustainability, didn't know how, so just started a podcast to learn about what options there were and basically said, hey, why don't you come on and just talk about the awesome stuff you're doing? And I couldn't agree more. It, like, has opened so many doors and so many connections, and people don't need to start a podcast to do it. You can just sort of, like, be a curious person and celebrate other people's success and other people's, you know, when people are doing good things, be supportive of that. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it works in all stages of life. Like I got out of college, graduated from San Diego state, not like the world's like top, uh, top like university. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to get investment banking and in private equity. And nobody would take my resume. Right. Like I couldn't, I couldn't apply anywhere and anybody would like even give me a meeting. So I just changed the changed the tune and just like started reaching out to people. Like I'm so 
amazed by this deal you just closed, like that I read about online. You want to go out and grab lunch with me and tell me about how you closed this deal. And I land a job just by asking people what they're doing, not even talking about what I did. Are you a Padres fan? No, I'm from Kansas City originally, so I'm a Royals, a Royals fan. fan. Chiefs fan too. That's fair. Good time to be a Chiefs fan. Padres right now are doing really well. Yeah, they're stacked. Yeah. I grew up in San Diego. I don't know if you knew that. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I grew up in San Diego. SDSU is a place that I never could party because they were too serious for me. Like, I, <laughs> that was, that was, that was, when they partied, they partied. And so, like, I wasn't, I wasn't. Oh, that's not that. how I took it. I thought that you meant they were too uptight to hang with you. That was not the impression that I got. But I was a child, so no one wanted me at their parties anyway. It was, uh, <laughs> it was like a professional partying culture. It was like every, every it was, uh, it was, it was, it was something else. Did you ever, did you ever try Trujillo's on San Diego State campus? No, I went to that hookah bar over there, not for a couple of times, because that was like a cool thing to do as a kid. But I, I didn't get in deep into that part. If you go home, you got to try Trujillo's. It is the best California burrito you'll ever have in your life. Oh, I was a Roberta's fan. I was all about Roberta's outside of Del Mar. Like, yeah, but yeah. everyone has their own burrito spot when they grew up in San Diego. That's necessary. Zach, thank no, you wait, so much. Wait, Jess I, Miles, have a one very, more. I have a very, <laughs> a very important question. Um, favorite wine since this whole episode's about oh, wine. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, you, I, we got a lot of producers we work with. All of it's incredible. I try to stay kind of in that natural biodynamic space. As the politician running for the head of uh, reuse, you can't you alienate no one. I love it. Alienate no one. But uh, but yeah, we got a list of them on, on our website. And we only work with producers that we truly love. We got a director of wine, Melissa Saunders, who's incredible. Make sure that everything that comes on the platform is going to be something that consumers love. So one of the things we say is if like, if you're getting it in the program, it's going to be a great wine. We're not just like letting anyone in to, uh, at this point, we want to make sure that people know that they can associate quality with, uh, with, with sustainability. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, go to thegoodgoods.com to check out that list of wines, check out, see if your local retailer has this available to you. And if they don't ask for it, so yeah. how would, how would, should customers ask for this? How should they say, Hey, go do this. Um, so basically if you're a producer, distributor, or retailer, who's interested in participating in the program, you can go to our website and click the contact us page. You'll have a form that you can submit based on who you are. So, um, if you want to get a, a, a retailer that's by you to participate, what we would recommend is actually, um, send an email to that, that, uh, retailer and include our hello at the um, on that email, and then we'll do the follow-up for you. We'll make sure that they uh, they get going with the program. But uh, as long as as long as you're there to do the introduction, it's uh, it's always better when consumers can. We're in the retailer can see the consumers are interested. Perfect. Go to your local wine score. Let them know that they should be re- reusing, not just reducing, and probably not recycling. Yeah. All right, Zach. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, really this was a lot of fun.